Welcome back to the 430 Movie. We got our expert programmers here to curate Fantasy Theme Week's of classic film from 1998 film directed by Steven Soderbergh called Out of Sight yes Soderbergh directs it with such a sort of confident self-assured style Lex Luthor in Superman what is it about Gene Hackman that uh... his performance it's off the charts but still in reality fiendishly gifted 1981 Sam Raimi Opus The Evil Dead oh yes fine choice Sam Raimi invented entirely new ways to get shots that should not have been possible with the amount of money that he did not have charade oh directed by Stanley Donnan it's a textbook screenplay it's just effortless and there's not a wrong note in this movie can't say enough great things about it we'll be back next Friday with an all new episode of the 430 movie wherever you listen to podcasts join us now for the 430 Movie. The 430 Movie Podcast is available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Download it today. Hello and welcome to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we talk about interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. Most of the time, the movies you're trying to make don't get made. Like, four of them may happen, one of them may happen, none of them may happen, and I'll be attached to three more things by end of summer. Turn the script into something resembling Unforgiven with Conan. Yeah. Sadly, the rights expired and the whole thing just like went away overnight. New episodes will be available every other Monday. We won't see you at the movies. Best Movies Never Made, as featured in Entertainment Weekly, is available wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. If you think you felt a great disturbance in the force, you're not wrong. Ed Gross and me, Mark A. Altman, have a new oral history from St. Martin's Press. It's Secrets of the Force, the complete, uncensored, unauthorized oral history of the Star Wars saga. So wherever you buy books, audio and video, Pick it up today, pre-order, and you can learn the secrets of the Force. And don't miss our oral history of Star Trek in stores now. And of course, nobody does it better. The complete oral history of James Bond in digital, hardcover, paperback, and audio. That is all. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Docterman. And we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And this is the New Testament, the Next Generation Bible. Captain's log, stardate 41153.7. Our destination is planet Deneb 4, beyond which lies the great unexplored mass of the galaxy. Examine Farpoint, a starbase built there by the inhabitants of that world. Meanwhile, I am becoming better acquainted with my new command, this Galaxy-class USS Enterprise. I am still somewhat in awe of its size and complexity. As for my crew, we are short in several key positions, most notably a first officer, but I'm informed that a highly experienced man, one Commander William Riker, will be waiting to join the ship at our Deneb 4 destination. We're back talking Bibles. We're getting religious. We found religion.
We've had, and, we've, uh, we've had this religion for quite a long time, though. And and it's yeah 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 exactly. Well, you know, I've, I've told that story that uh, I, I forget who it was who said it, but uh, always said that uh, Gene Roddenberry was jealous of L. Ron Hubbard because he felt Star Trek should have been a religion that would have been bigger than Scientology. Um, and in a way, it is. So in a way, it is. It didn't make uh, as much money as Scientology, but no, no. Sorry. that's true. Well, this is exciting. So um, we're, today we're going to be talking about the Star Trek The Next Generation Writers and Directors Guide, a.k.a. The Next Generation Bible. Yeah. Ashley Miller, Trexpert extraordinaire, newly minted Trexpert and writer of Thor and X-Men First Class and uh, showrunner of the hit Netflix series Dota Dragon's Blood. Uh, um, tell us what a series TV uh, Bible is. Uh, a TV series Bible is a set of suggestions that largely get followed and is mainly written for the benefit of the network. So they know what freaking show uh, you actually plan to deliver. Uh, I, I, I will say that in the, the case, and we'll obviously get into this, of the, the Bible for Star Trek The Next Generation, the, the suggestions were, I think, um, also... Uh, made in the, the direction of the writers and the directors who would be participating in the making of the show. There's a lot of technical information. There's a lot of things that simply would, that the network executives wouldn't care about. But it's basically a way of describing um, what's the premise of a show? Who are the main characters of the show? What is the dramatic engine of the show? What kind of stories do we do week to week? What is our tone? Um, and what are the things that are most important and consistent about the universe or the world that we're building inside of the series? So we understand um, how it feels to sit in our chair like every Monday night at nine and watch this thing. Back in the days when you would sit in a chair Monday night at nine and watch things. Well, I got to well, say, um, in, in addition to what Ashley said, it was a little different back in 1987 because unlike today, where pretty much every show is either um, crafted in a room uh, with the staff writers, uh, you know, obviously produce, you know, different levels of staff writer, producer, co-execs, uh, the showrunner. Um, back in 87, it was a little different. It was kind of the last, the, the end of the freelance era of um, where you kind of had a showrunner slash uh, a, a few levels of writers, but mostly... Uh, you had freelancers coming in to pitch stories who were then hired and um, and uh, they would write an episode and then eventually be rewritten by uh, either the showrunner or uh, co-EP. Um, that changed over the course of Next Generation, but at, especially early on, it was very much driven by freelancers. And in fact, Gene Roddenberry had reached out to a lot of writers. And the one thing about Star Trek is everyone thought they understood what a Star Trek episode was. When in fact, very few actually did understand what Star Trek, even among the staff, which early on was, you know, Gene and uh, Bob Lewin, uh, who had had great bona fides with the paper chase and, and, and shows that he had worked on. And then you had David Gerald and DC Fontana. Even they couldn't all agree as to what was um, what was a Star Trek episode. So this Bible was written, you know, by Gene, uh, but. Uh, ultimately, much of it was fleshed out by David Gerald. And uh, David has said a lot of that had to do with the fact that Gene wanted the Bible to sell at Lincoln Enterprises. And his Bible was too thin. 
and he needed to put sort of skin on the bones in order to uh, you know have something more substantial. Um, but as we go through this, we'll talk about uh, you know um, the structure of the show and a lot of stuff stuck, and 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 we'll see. There's a lot of things that didn't. I, I remember when I was on the set of Too Short a Season uh, as a young college student um, writing about the show um, when Mike Akuda. Uh, who I didn't know was Mike Akuda at the time, uh, didn't know who he was, gave me a tour of the sets. They were making a big deal out of something that's also uh, hit hard in the Bible, which is show me the way to my quarters. And right. the the lights would light up on the on the, the wall of the corridor and you would follow the blinking lights to your car, you know, to to your quarters. Or yeah. the fact that um, every it, it's really funny because ultimately what Gene was um, talking about was um, Really, Siri, you know, yeah. there's a big thing. I'm in not going to say that word in my house right now because she would answer me. <laughs> he goes, show me. And so LaForge's service record, the requested information will appear on consoles or on the screen of the person who is facing it or the holodecks. <laughs> the show me command will be used to reprogram the entire simulation. Show me the surface of SETI Alpha 6. Yes, sir. Which hemisphere? <laughs> Tell me how long will it take to get to Earth? This is the audio equivalent of show me. The computer will respond verbally. 7.9 days, sir. Benson, could you help me find Commander Data? I understand he's somewhere on this deck. This way, sir. You must be new to these galaxy-class starships, sir. Tell me the location of Commander Data. Lieutenant Commander Data, now located in holodeck area 4J. And as you can see, sir, it's pointing you that way. Thank you. You're welcome, sir. The next hatchway on your right. Thank you. You're welcome, Commander Riker. And if you care to enter, Commander. I do. The ship's computer, get me, Ensign LaForge. Get me tells the computer to locate the desired person or persons and open up a communications channel. We will hear a confirming beep and then the requested person's voice, LaForge here. My favorite, of course, is play me. So play Misty for me, I guess. No, it's actually, see, it's play me, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Our computer can provide a wide variety of entertainment. I mean, it's like basically, uh, uh, I mean, it really is like Apple TV or something. Well, it, it can play all sorts of entertainment as long as it's recognizable to a 20th century audience. Yes, <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, I, this is my favorite. In general usage, our computer is smart enough to understand what is desired, even if the request is not strictly to form. Get me Ensign LaForge's service record or show me the last chapter of The Godfather will also produce the desired <laughs> result. Like, I guess they're making it for Paramount. So they, they, they're they plugging the Godfather in the Bible? I mean, I, I, I wonder if it would have given us uh, uh, the Godfather coda, the death of Michael Corleone. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's very, uh, this was a big deal to them at the time. And it was something that they never really used, you know? So things that could seem important and um uh, in, in the in the Bible, you know, ultimately may never get serviced in the actual scripts. I think mostly because it was so ham-handedly delivered in the pilot with uh, that poor actress who didn't give a very good line reading at all. Uh, show me 
the location of Lieutenant Commander Data. Do you like oh, it when I say it like this? <laughs> I have to pee. <laughs> well, she didn't uh, proceed by saying Alexa or, <laughs> you know. Uh-oh. No. Speak, oh, yeah. Don't say those words. Don't say those words. That is those, are, those are worship words. You will not <laughs> exactly. say <that. laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, but there are a lot of things that would become important in the show. Other things less so, but uh, I do love the warning, the very serious warning at the top of the at the beginning top of the writer producer guide. That was guide. almost completely thrown out by the time the show was going. Yeah, uh, Darren, if you would be so kind as to read it to us. Okay, um, I'm not going to read it in Gene's voice because I think we've had enough of that for now. We'll just no, read I, it to ourselves. I think. I think in retrospect, Gene wrote so little of this Bible that it's probably not really accurate <laughs> oh, to have. I wasn't going to say that out loud, but yes. But, yeah, um, you said the inside. That's thing. right. Uh, notice to writers, your possession of this Star Trek Bible should not be considered an invitation to write or submit a story or script for the television series Star Trek The Next Generation. Please don't mail in a story or script. Regretfully, this will only lead to that mail being rejected or the material destroyed. Or your oh. career being launched. Right, right. True, Star Trek has always encouraged new writers and will seek ways to do so in the future. However, because of business, union, and insurance restrictions, neither the Star Trek office nor the production staff is permitted to accept unsolicited, unrequested stories. I, I love that scripts. they put that in parenthetical. Yeah. That, you know, in case you don't know what unsolicited case, is, well, unrequested. You, know, you might not. You might you know, not. The, the single word. exception to the above role is material submitted by recognized literary agents meaning those who have an established reputation as representatives of professional television writers. Thank you for understanding this and go away now. <laughs> go away way. now. <laughs> it's, it's funny because they, they turned that on its end and they started to accept unsolicited scripts yeah, from just it. about everyone who, uh, who knew about it. Well, because a lot of those early writers were people that had worked on either the original Star Trek or, or Genesis two scripts sure. or um, planet earth. And, you know, and, and they all, almost all of them from John DF black to David DC to um, uh, Michael Rhodes, they all went already very unhappy. Larry Brody, yeah. you know, they worked on the animated series. You know, all of them got rewritten, you know, substantially. Uh, and again, I, mean, I can't, it's almost as if they didn't know what writing on Star Trek produced by Gene Roddenberry would be like. Right. Or you know, a show. Like, what is the definition of insanity? You know, yeah. it, 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 it's um, repeating the same thing and expecting a different result. And yeah. it's like they'd all been, you know, they'd all been uh, through this rewritten. before. They knew yeah, and, they knew they knew the danger. <laughs> I say, let them crash. That's right. And it's, <laughs> it's the reality. Right. It's like you're a professional writer your expectation on a television show should be that you will be rewritten. And it's a happy surprise when you're not, you know, I mean, this is just my personal opinion, but walking away feeling resentful that the showrunner rewrote you, right. Is just blows my mind. Um, I mean, I get it. It's like, you know, as a writer, your ego gets involved in things, but I think it's, it is more the exception than the rule that you're not. Like what did you think was going to happen? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, and honestly, especially on a first season show. Uh, if I were a producer, I would feel resentful. These writers were uh, bringing in old ideas that had been rehashed a, a dozen times. 
That's right. Well, that's a whole nother episode because some of the stuff that was being pitched in the first season, you know, all the seasons, but particularly the first season was absolutely abysmal. And, you know, there's, there's this famous, and I wrote about this way back in the days when I was writing for Cine Fantastic, you know, they had a dry erase board in the writer's room where they keep track of all the pitches and right. they would, you know, um, literally have hundreds of, you know, uh, and I don't have it here at my disposal, but it was like, you know, um, they had all these different categories, you know, lost relative, uh, you know, data malfunctions, holodeck malfunction. And you just see hundreds and like somebody would come and pitch and they, they would put another check mark yeah. next to it. And, <laughs> and it was just, you know, again and again, it's like people were pitching the same stories. And what was amazing, people come in and they thought, oh, I'm pitching something so original, they never heard this. And then there were all these lawsuits, basically people saying, you ripped off my idea, but you know, if you look at the history of next generation, I mean, so many people were pitching the same concepts, Yeah, you know, over and over again, you know, very you Mary Sue stories and, and all kinds of stuff. Literally but stories was, about a character named Mary Sue. Though. Yeah. But I mean, like everyone had spent the last, whatever it was, 15 years since Star Trek went off the air thinking about what, how they would do Star Trek. I mean, right. I got to give Gene except credit. Gene I mean, Roddenberry. <laughs> except Gene Roddenberry. Right. But um you know, people, and, and that's why so much of what you see in the Bible, you, you know, are, are, are things that David Gerald talked about way back when he was writing the world of Star Trek. You know, yeah. he talks about, well, isn't it silly that Captain Kirk would go on the landing party every week and, and the captain of the ship would be in jeopardy. So one of the first things they change, you know, is the idea of the away team that the captain would not go, you know, down to the planet, um, that it would be the first officer and the captain would stay on the bridge. Ultimately, what happens is, you know, while that may be logical for the show, it doesn't it's work for terrible, the actor right. who gets, you know, who basically is sitting there in the yeah. Royale pointing at the computer screen saying, yeah. hello, why have we number, lost contact with the away team? The number one on the call sheet is not involved in this week's adventure. Well, that's what's interesting. Because you can't go down on the planet. The, the Bible, the suggestion says that there are two co-leads, Picard yes. and Riker, and that somehow yes. they should split that. And it boggles the mind because it's like, clearly I know these people have worked on a television show before it's there's a number one and there's a number two. And yeah, in this yeah. case, number one was number two. It's, it's like, not like a two. It's not like a two hander, like moonlighting. You right. know, we have Bruce Willis and, and uh, although Phil I would Shepard watch that or, version of Star Trek. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. That would be, right? would that be kind of awesome. I want to see that. Yeah. Starlighting. I want to see that show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i love here we have um the ship's mission to expand the body of human knowledge to provide assistance as required to earth federation colonies commerce and travelers to provide for earth federation security to seek out new lives new civilizations That's number four and then finally well for some shows it's even it's like number 17 That's and a half true. um yeah uh, to provide further understanding of the universe and humanity's place in it who are we? Where have we come from? What are we about? And where are we going? I'm trying to imagine the staff meeting in the conference room after like Starfleet does their whole presentation, like they make everybody sit down for the seminar on the new mission statement, right? And everybody just comes back and they're going through this. Have you guys looked at number five? Like, <laughs> what the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> How are we, are are we, we? going to get judged on this? Is our, is our performance review going to be based on answering who are we? I mean, honestly, this is just screaming for a Sam Peoples rewrite. 
Honestly. <laughs> Could you see walking into the writer's room that day and the showrunner sits down at the, at the front of the table and says, today we're going to talk about who are we? Where right. we come from? <laughs> what are we about? <laughs> where are we going? I know where I'm going. I'm going to the commissary. Lunch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, you know, then, uh, he, you know, he sort of goes out in the Bible to sort of explain uh, where this new show is going to take place 78 years after the original in the 24th century, how this is not the original, that the original characters are legendary, but they won't be a big part of the, They won't be a part of the show, which is interesting because in a story that may or may not be apocryphal, it said that Gene was very resistant to include anything from the original Star Trek, the Klingons, the Romulans, Spock. Kirk, uh, anything because um, he would have to pay alimony on the show, part of the show, to his ex-wife as part of his, uh, and then by not uh, including characters from the original, he would be able to avoid that. It's the same story that has kind of dogged George Lucas. You know, yeah. a lot of people say that the reason he did the special editions. Uh, and again, this is this is purely speculative, and there's yeah. nothing that um, was that he didn't have, have to pay definitive proof of this. Yeah, that right. he didn't have to pay Marsha Lucas uh, because they're considered separate entities from the original trilogy, where yeah. she has a piece of those as part of the divorce settlement, and that's why he'll never let the originals be released. And the special editions are considered something that he completely, you know, owned as opposed to Marsha having a piece of. Whether that's true or not, who knows? But it's it's just, it's a rumor. So. Um, it's the same thing. But, you know, ultimately, Gene decides very reluctantly to, you know, have a Klingon on the bridge. Right. Um, and he puts D. Kelly in the pilot. Right. If you got some reason you want my atoms scattered all over space, boy. No, sir. But at your age, sir, I thought you shouldn't have to put up with the time and trouble of a shuttlecraft. Hold it right there, boy. Sir? What about my age? Sorry, sir. If that subject troubles you. Troubles me? What's so damn troublesome about not having died? How old do you think I am anyway? 137 years, Admiral, according to Starfleet records. Explain how you remember that so exactly. I remember every fact I'm exposed to, sir. I don't see no points on your ears, boy. But you sound like a Vulcan. No, sir. I'm an android. Hmm. Almost as bad. I thought it was generally accepted, sir, that Vulcans are an advanced and most honorable race. They are, they are. Damn annoying at times. Yes, sir. Well, this is a new ship, but she's got the right name. Now, you remember that, you hear? I will, sir. You treat her like a lady. She'll always bring it home. So I don't know if Leonard Mazelich basically said you're going to have to pay her no matter what. It's called Star Trek. It's the same right. universe. I wish you had if... that conversation with George Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Release the Marshall Lucas cut. Sorry. Well, did you uh, see podcast, but... uh, this this week? Marshall Lucas came out 
uh, and very candidly just eviscerated the new Star Wars movie. She eviscerated the prequels and the sequels. It was a fairly true. This is the revenge of the Jedi. Yeah, it is. (laughs) (laughs) I've always loved her. She's a brilliant cutter. And my God, I had so much respect for her. Uh, you know, just what do they say? Uh, she has no shits to give or whatever. It's yeah, like yeah. she just uh, she Zero just called it like she said. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and 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 whether you agree with her or not, it's so much respect for her coming out and just, you know, not being politic. You yeah. Know? And mm-hmm. she I mean, she just really goes after Kathleen Kennedy. She says, I really like Kathleen, but she has no clue what she's doing. It's right. like, wow, mm-hmm. it's it's fascinating because, of course, you know, Marsha. Uh, did a lot more than the Star Wars movies. Yes, she, yes, uh, I did. She, she was a great editor who uh, edited some of the most uh, uh, effective films ever made. You know, uh, so I think that uh, this is a voice. Uh, this is a voice from the other side of the force that we've been waiting to hear for quite a long time. And look, well, those of us who have, and it's all three of us who have worked in this industry in a way that we have, we have seen the power of editing to change the experience of a story, right? Mm-hmm. We know like the value of somebody like Marsha Lucas, like what, you know, it's obviously we don't know, maybe we don't like what Star Wars would have looked like without her, but we know well, what yes, Star Wars- Yes, we do. Okay. It's Return of the It would have been Jedi. That's true. You know what? You're exactly right. That's that's what it would have looked like. And it's, we can't just, and I don't think anybody can dismiss what Marshall Lucas is saying, no matter whether you agree with her or not, because she was obviously a very important part of the storytelling. She uh, was there and then she wasn't. That's right. Look, you can't take away the genius of George Lucas. He conceived it. He executed it. He was and is a genius. However, the collaboration with Marsha Lucas and Paul Hirsch and Gary Kurtz clearly elevated that franchise. There's a reason that Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back are so um, vastly superior to anything else that was ever done in that universe. And it's the same way with Star Trek. Gene was a genius, an absolute genius and a visionary. Um, But he was elevated through his collaboration with other people like Gene, Gene Kuhn, Kuhn, you know, like Michael Piller. Um, and also his, his attitude towards Star Trek changed as he yeah, started to interact with uh, the fans, as he, as he started to create this, this greater overlying story about the importance of Star Trek and right. what it meant to humanity. The um, meta narrative that got in the way very often of his it, sense of the narrative. It started to inform his reactions to stories and to characters and things like that. And I think in a in a negative way. Yeah, it was sort of. I think that the Gene Roddenberry story really is that of who moans for Adonais. Yeah, or mourns, or mourns. What did I say? You always say who moans for Adonais. <laughs> did and I by say the way. That? Uh, I think it was Leslie Parrish in that episode. Um, (laughs) That's from from Scotty's Good Lord, am I right about that? I hope I'm right. It is Leslie Parrish. Woo! Who who, who, uh, who never never looked better than she did that, other than maybe the mentoring candidate. Yeah. So, okay. So, um, back to the New Testament. (laughs) That's the Bible here. Right then. Yeah. We were speaking of the Lord. I love this. The same band of brothers feeling. 
and sisters too, of course. Of course. A large part of the success of the original Star Trek series we is attributable to the fact that it was not a star and co-star series, but a family ensemble. What show Wrong. was he watching? What show? It's <laughs> a show. Of course, it was a. It's like it's so funny, especially in the context of again. I keep thinking about the stories of William Shatner at the uh, at, at at Las Vegas a few weeks ago, talking about the day players that he never met. It's yeah. like they weren't a family. They were day it was players. A, it was a band of brothers, unless you're only there a day a week. Yeah, yeah. Let, let me let me just say, speaking of Vegas, my knee. My shin is still hurts a month later, <laughs> month and a half later. I, 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 I had a Star Europe. Trek injury. I went to Europe last week and I, I had, a, you know, where I, I did a lot of walking and oh my God, it's like, I don't know what that woman, that wheelchair did to me, but I mean, I'm like, I'm like deformed. It's like, I'm really, I quasi can't Marco. believe that. I am. I'm like quasi Marco. So <laughs> I, I'm so angry about that. It was so unnecessary. And I, I just, I just, if she's listening to the podcast, no. Damn you, I, man. You know, in the cage, Spock had a limp. I'm just saying. Yeah. He had a limp. And a lisp. And have they done a short trek explaining his limp? I'm sure it's coming. <laughs> it's <today. laughs> Maybe it's, it's just a short walking around looking at a pad and just kicks his toe. Oh! <laughs> he <banged laughs> his toe. Okay. It's, like, it's going to be a whole season arc. It'll be the most entertaining episode of Star Trek in a decade. New worlds. But I love the idea that they're trying to sell, or Gene is trying to sell, that Star Trek was always an ensemble, yeah. and it never Which was. Which is completely no. wrong. Yeah. No. It was a star vehicle with uh, uh, additional characters. Okay. Yes. So, but he does say the same action-adventure entertainment format. We now have more freedom and story latitude because our series bypasses the networks and is made directly for television stations. Well, uh, that's not exactly accurate. Uh, As no. before, without neglecting entertainment values, we invite writers to consider premises premises involving the challenges facing humanity today, the 1980s and 90s. For the example, eugenic, the eugenics wars, uh, particularly, <laughs> <laughs> particularly those which interest the writer personally. The new Star Trek episodes will continue the tradition of vivid imagination, intelligence, a sense of fun while still assessing where we humans presently are, where we're going, and what our existence is really about. They're really hung up on that. Yeah. Who, yeah. Are, Who we? are we? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, what? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost the same vessel. The Starfleet designation of our new enterprise is NCC-1701D, indicating this is the fifth starship to carry that name now twice the length of the original 23rd century enterprise <laughs> it sounds like a commercial for like it does. Uh, you know it's um, now twice uh, the length and ripped for what yeah, that yeah. can't be right for your pleasure which adds, <laughs> which adds up to eight times in size <laughs> our new starship has size much matters not uh, our new starship has much the same symmetry of the original. No, it doesn't. But it is now a vessel of less battleship sterility. It serves as more of a community and home to a considerably larger and more diverse crew. That's I mean, great. It's larger, but it's it's larger. It's completely different. It's <laughs> yeah. completely different. Yeah. It bears almost no relationship to the original show, other than. Oh well, there's a there's a place that's called the bridge that has chairs in it. 
Right. Uh, but they're really that, comfy chairs. They, they sure are. And there's a big wooden horseshoe. I don't know. The oh, bridge reminds right. me of like, I used to, I remember there was this great hotel where they would make cookies at four o'clock every day. I always think of cookies when I see the bridge because it feels like the Hampton Inn where they like serve fresh cookies, you know, at four o'clock, you know, in the, in, in the lobby. And that's right. exactly you what see that? USS Hampton. How, how come you never saw the crew like snack it, right? Like, yeah, you know, during you an did. encounter, it just like, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like on a movie set. Yeah, Deanna Troy eating chocolate ice cream for God's sake. No, but that's a whole meal. He what he's talking about is like crafty, like when you're hey, shooting and they exactly. come around with a tray and they and they're like, Oh, would you like one of these delicious saucer trolls? Right. Or would you, you know, and, 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 and McCarr just like Trump munching on something. He's like, Yeah, put them on the main viewer. Because think about <laughs> it. You know, you're you know, even at warp speed, it's taking hours and hours and days. It's like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? I mean, you're literally sitting around doing nothing. For, yeah. for days going between oh. planets and stuff and solar systems. So there would be like a craft service person coming around and it'd be they like, oh, here. That on the original show, I mean, uh, there was a yeoman bringing around coffee. Coffee, for, uh, exactly. And so, chicken sandwich. No, she didn't bring chicken sandwich. She bring coffee itself. around. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. He did. But actually, it turned out to be a triple. But, but I think know. there should be someone who's walking around the bridge offering people snacks. I agree. That's like, who's like, who's the snack officer? Snack right. officer, snack <laughs> officer. <laughs> there should be a snack officer. It's Ensign Crafty. See, people don't take these worlds seriously. Like in the real world, there would be somebody coming around with snacks for That's everyone. Right. And, you, and you would love that character. Oh, I mean, they had that in uh, Return of the Jedi. It was Admiral Snack Bar. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, I'd like to know, you know, just an episode, like, all the bo- what happens during all the boring time where you're just like traveling from solar system to Did solar they, like, system bring up, and like, nothing's you know, happening. An Xbox I think, I on think the uh, plenty of that in the second season, Mark. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> in, this, in the second season, yeah, what, right. the, uh, of the next original? Gen. Oh, next, next gen. gen. Next gen. Yeah, they yeah, watch okay. reruns of the original series, like on the main viewer, like while they're Orville, no, in that's the Orville. Oh, right. That's the that's the Orville. That's the Orville. <laughs> We, we haven't done an Orville episode of this podcast, should we? Not yet. I don't know. I think if Seth MacFarlane will do the, do the show, we should do it. Well, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I, mean, I, I think we should. We wouldn't let we, him talk about the Orville. We'd have him talk about Star Trek. Star Trek. <laughs> okay. Well, and his, and his, his role in Enterprise. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. He could have. Maybe now he's the stack officer. Yeah. Maybe he got a promotion. How, how great would that be? To, because you got replicators. So, like, if you're Nashi, you just go and get like nachos, whatever you want. It's just there for you, there for the taking. Are you man enough to take it? It's That's like, right. yeah, there's got to be people. You have to add to the soundtrack in the background the sound of a popcorn machine going. For sure. <laughs> but it's like, I would want it, like the snack officer to be like an artisan when it comes to giving those orders to the replicator. <laughs> Right. Like when he makes the nachos, it's like, here's the temperature like on the chicken and how long it's been roasted. And like and here's like, you know, the exactly like the sharpness of it. I mean, just like this is a guy who just who takes pride in his work. He wants it to taste exactly right. It's not enough to say, computer, get me nachos. Right. Because no, show, show me nachos. <laughs> show me <laughs> where the snack officer is. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Sh- show me nachos Ooh. without jalapenos. 
Um, dual lead characters. Dual lead characters. Yeah, okay, dual lead characters. So here we are. This is this is postulated in the Bible. Two lead characters. And those, of course, would be Captain Jean-Luc Picard, who's described as already a 24th century Starfleet legend. Already. Yeah. I, I never got that sense, to be honest. No, I never yeah. got that sense either. When when the yeah. show began, he was just like a captain. He was like, like a cranky sh- guy. Like the yeah. Stargazer, um, his time on the Stargazer was not all that impressive. No. And um, he was that just a captain. was a failure. Yeah. It was a disaster, honestly. Plus, he, he had this clone on Remus. Who knew? That was, you know, that was by waiting. Tom Hardy. That was so weird. By Bane. Yeah. Crashing the starship. <laughs> Captain Picard. I'm Captain Picard's reckoning. <laughs> oh, my God. I've come from Romulus to break you. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I was born in Romulus. I was born in darkness. Picard is an extraordinary man, much yes. revered by his crew. He deserves a description distinguished, despite being only in his youthful 50s. Screw he you, buddy! Un- <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. He has an unspoken but deep father-son relationship. Which is, so- is a hell of a thing to say okay. to a man. Now, in all seriousness, yes. what's so great is you see that this Bible is, is insane because of course none of this ever materialized. Yep. It is not a paternal father-son relationship not with Commander William Riker, number one. Darren, if you would read that for us. Early 30s, the Starship's executive officer and second in command. His twin responsibilities are one, constantly providing the captain with a top condition vessel and crew. And top two, top men. Top oh, men. Man. And two, acting as commander of away missions, both planetary and other kinds. Thank you, sir. I hope I show some promise. I do have some questions for you, however. Yes, sir, I thought you might. I see in your file that Captain DeSoto thinks very highly of you. One curious thing, however, you refuse to let him beam down to Altair 3. In my opinion, sir, Altair 3 was too dangerous to risk exposing the captain. I see. Captain's rank means nothing to you. Rather the reverse, sir. But a captain's life means a great deal more to me. Isn't it just possible that you don't get to be a Starfleet captain without knowing whether it's safe to beam down or not? Isn't it a little presumptuous of a first officer to second guess his captain's judgment? Permission to speak candidly, sir. Always. Having been a first officer yourself, you know that assuming that responsibility must, by definition, include the safety of the captain. I have no problem with following any rules you lay down, short of compromising your safety. And you don't intend to back off from that position? No, sir. One further thing. Special favor. Anything, sir? Using the same strength you showed with Captain DeSoto, I would appreciate it if you could keep me from making an ass of myself with children. Sir? I'm not a family man, Riker, and yet Starfleet has given me a ship with children aboard. Yes, sir. And I... Uh, I don't feel comfortable with children. But since a captain needs an image of geniality, you're to see that's what I project. Aye, sir. Welcome to the Enterprise, Commander Riker. 
other what attacks. Are, what are the other kinds? I, I, where where I got, else are you going? I guess they could go to other like, ships, perhaps. The other ships. They could go into uh, gaseous anomalies. I don't know. I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's the, the father-son relationship. Yeah. Look, and, you know, we're, we're joking, but it, it's really hard to nail the show in the Bible before it you've is. actually made the show. And I mean, that's why first seasons are notoriously difficult. And that's to, why I call them do. suggestions, not Bibles. Yeah. The suggestion guide. The yeah. suggestion yeah. box. Yeah. That's <laughs> now, right. now, I mean, how would you like to be one of the actors who's, who's now reading other lead characters? Sort of, maybe show up. So um, Ashley, Lieutenant Commander Data, would you tell us about him? Well, I'm glad you asked, Mark. Lieutenant Commander Data is an android so perfectly fabricated by unknown aliens that it, that on applying for a Starfleet commission years ago, he tested out as alive. What? This number is six po- is, number five is alive. is alive. This is a point of pride to Data. And at this point, Data whose Starfleet psychiatric profile, medical eyes only, lists the android as having the- medical eyes only. Only for you. The quote unquote impossible dream of somehow, someday, if you can find him, becoming human. (laughs) (laughs) With a phenomenal memory capacity, superior strength, and similar assets, he is programmed in a wide variety of pleasurings, data, is an ideal Starfleet officer. Marvelous. How easily humans do that. I still need much practice. There's some puzzles down on the... down on the planet that the captain once answered. He suggests that I take you with me on the way team that I'll be leading. I shall endeavor to function adequately, sir. Yes. When the captain suggested you, I looked up your record. Yes, sir. A wise procedure, sir, always. Then your rank of lieutenant commander is honorary. No, sir. Starfleet class of 78, honors in probability mechanics and exobiology. But your file says that you're a... Machine, correct, sir. Does that trouble you? be honest yes a little understood sir prejudice is very human now that does trouble me do you consider yourself superior to us i am superior sir in many ways but i would gladly give it up to be human nice to meet you pinocchio a joke ah intriguing you're going to be an interesting companion mr data at another point in the Bible, it does call out that it is pronounced like that, uh, data. data. Yeah. Yes, which is probably ignored by everyone. Yes. yes. Completely. From the first, first line in the line. show. <laughs> <laughs> you would say fairness, this mission. He also is... had eyebrows. Yeah. When we first met. Now, him, now so. I hear is an equally um, uh, strange. Um, a uh, description of a character, Lieutenant Deanna Troy, who the writers throughout its seven-year-old, uh, seven-year run had difficulty no really explaining this character. An attractive and very witty Starfleet what? professional. Already it's crazy. It's I don't like, think she was ever funny Great satisfaction and joy. They must have seen the Wicked Lady. She is the Starship's counselor, a position of vital importance on space vessels of the 24th century. 
the success of a starship's mission depends as much on efficiently functioning human relationships as on the vessel's mechanisms and circuitry. Troy is a master in human and alien psychology, also starfleet trained as a bridge officer. Her mother was a Beta Z alien, and she has inherited a form of telepathic ability which allows her to feel the emotions of others. I've asked the counselor to join us in this meeting. May I introduce our new first officer, Commander William Riker. Commander Riker, this is our ship's counselor, Deanna Troy. Do you remember what I told you, Zadid? Can you still sense my thoughts? A pleasure, Commander. Likewise, counselor. Have the two of you met before? Excellent. I consider it important for my key officers to know each other's abilities. We do, sir. We do. I too could never say goodbye, Anxiety. So here's my question about counselors, right? And the necessity of them that this is describing. Because later in the Bible, in the suggestion, it talks about how humans still have the flaws and the foibles of, of the humans of our era, but you know not to the same degree, right? That we're right. more evolved. And yet the presence of the counselor, right? In a crew full of people who essentially don't have issues seems a little bit superfluous, right? It's like, right. what, what was the perceived function of the, I mean, I'm, this is to take nothing away from Marina, but like, but what was the perceived function of this character when sitting down and writing the Bible? And like, and at some point, doesn't it make you go, is this in conflict with the very premise of how these characters are supposed to interact with each other in the first place? What conflicts is she resolving between these characters who, by the way, don't seem to have conflicts? Who actually, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, go ahead. I was going to say, you brought up a really interesting question. I know Brandon has talked about this, where he says, well, in, in a universe in which all the characters supposedly have overcome the petty differences and bickering and are, are more, ele- you know, perf- the perfectibility of man, why would there be a counselor? Right. Now, okay, I think that's a valid, it's a very valid point. I think, actually, it was a, a fairly gutsy and original idea to have a therapist or a counselor on board. Um, obviously the Sopranos would deal with it in a much more interesting way a couple of years later. Um, and I think the problem was, is that they never dealt with it in a really interesting way. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons the bonding works because it, you, you know, which is the episode in which a crew member, you know, Ron Moore's famous spec script in which a crew member has to deal with the death of his mother and Troy helps him. And of course, there's a whole sci-fi MacGuffin, but it ultimately is about loss and grieving and all that kind of stuff. And that was interesting, but I would have liked to, you know, see people, you know, coming to her with real problems and see her be a counselor and see, you know, people, you know, because what are the implications of being in space? They're saying that this mission was not a five-year mission. It was a, what it was like 20, a 20 years, 20, a 20 year mission. So, um, it, how interesting would it be for people, you know, having a tough time in space, you know, fa- there's families apparently on the ship. So it's like, there's so much that could have really gotten the character. And instead of her saying, I feel great joy, you know, it's like, let her actually be smart, yeah. you know, and, and not state the obvious. Right. It's like, think of, here's a perfect example 
of just opportunities missed. Now, admittedly, it wasn't a serialized show and maybe, you know, Paramount would have crapped on it. But even a little bit, Captain Picard at the end of season three, as we all know, gets taken by the Borg. He gets converted into a Borg. He is basically mind raped. Um, He's violated in every conceivable way, turned against his friends, turned into a, a killer, right? He murders a boatload of Starfleet and it messes him up. Including his friend, Admiral Hanson. Including his friend, Admiral Hanson, right? Who like has a thing for Elizabeth Dennehy, right? (laughs) So he does all that. And and to Star Trek's credit, to the Next Generation's credit, there's the family episode where he is contending with the fallout of that. Great. But isn't that exactly what the counselor should be there for? Well, here's- here's, here's Yes, exactly. Here's the thing that they missed. I think that in every episode, the end of the episode should have been Picard talking with Deanna. Right. Yeah, and I think going I think over what happened and 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 having having doubts about his decisions, you know, yeah. just like Kirk talked to McCoy, right? Yeah. But how is she well, not I, the McCoy, right? It's well, like I was gonna say, right. no, you know, it's not even that. I was gonna say, Darren, I totally agree with you that it was it was actually the Pike and John Hoyt relationship is what it should have been because Pike was even more open with his feelings and having more, you know, Kirk was more self-assured. Pike was really questioning a lot more and he really needed the advice. I think that, you know, Picard was more in the Pike vein and he could have really questioned if somebody died on a mission, you know, he would really be torn up about it. Right. And he would have to talk to counselor and he would project that he was completely in command and 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 self-assured in front of the crew, but yeah. then he could be more open with her. It would have been so interesting. Absolutely. Except, except it kind of highlights and underlines, I think, a, a weakness of the next generation, at least in the first two seasons, which is that there was no emotional fallout from the things that our characters did because they didn't really struggle with what was the right decision because right. a lot of the interpretation, I think, of the suggestion was that they shouldn't. So what you never get is, you know, Kirk in his quarters in balance of terror, right? And McCoy, like, giving that amazing speech. Like, Picard would never need that speech, even though you'd think as a human being he might. Like, it would never happen. In even though as a character, he does. Right. Yeah. 100%. But it's like, but it just, it never gets dramatized. It's so fascinating that that character exists is considered important. I agree. It could be fascinating. What Mm -hmm. I also find interesting is in nearly every Star Trek, look, there's always a captain. There's always a first officer. There is a doctor. There's an engineer, right? There like might be a security. I'm like all of these things. Not a next gen. Not a next gen. But there is, well, eventually there's an engineer because LaForge becomes an engineer. Right. Not until season two. Right until, right. But. The, oh, there was Leland the, T. Lynch. That's, yeah, and, right. And Leland Lynch. He was okay, in a few who, episodes. And then. Who can was, name all the engineers from first season? Oh, my God. Uh, uh, there was uh, there was a Scottish one. Right. McSuffin. And it was, uh, and was it by McDonald's? No. McTavish. Mm, that Honestly, I think, I think that was one of them. Okay. There were like five of them. Like every yeah. week, it was like There's Murphy like, Brown's secretary. There, there was, was a different a, engineer. There was a, a assistant chief engineer Shimoda. 
Oh yeah, Shimoda. Right? That was Clyde Cuts. <laughs> well, yeah, I remember they made such a big deal out of Leland T. Lynch introducing himself. Right. I know. I know. This is back. Chief Engineer Leland T. Lynch. Right. Is like, hey, this is they a guy. love middle like, initials. They do, especially when it's T. But look, my point is that that there has never been a counselor on another show. Right. Right. right? There's no counselor on DS Nine. Yeah, it's like, and it's it's interesting. That it's just they just abandoned the notion rather well, than saying, well, what did we miss? Maybe because of the nature of the Enterprise's D, Enterprise D's mission, right? This right. was an experiment because they had never put families, families. on board a starship before. They gave me a ship and there was never, yeah, and there was never a twenty-year mission. So perhaps this was a you know another great experiment like right. this year. But that was also half-assed too. The whole family thing. It's like sometimes yeah. it would play a part. Other times, there's no way. They would be sent on these missions if there were families on board. No. Uh, and then and then for a long time, they completely ignored it. The fact that their families on board, then kind of in season seven, they they sort of brought it back with like invisible friend. And it, it, they never committed to it. They would and be ejecting the primary hull every constantly. two minutes. Yeah. Right. You're going into, into battle against the Borg. Yeah. Guess what you're doing? You're getting rid of the primary yeah. hull. Emergency saucer set separation for the week. <laughs> It was a terrible idea. Often to safety. It was a terrible idea, but if they were going to do it, they should have committed to it. Yeah. And and it would have been a very different show than the original, and it would have been interesting. You know, you know, having this conversation, I have to say, I'm kind of getting excited about an idea that I always thought was a bad idea, but um, you know, rebooting. You know, when you say that in Vegas, it worries me. Oh no, I just think that I think that you know this idea of maybe re re you know rebooting Next Generation, the Kelvin universe. And, and doing the, because these characters are well liked and, you know, it did, uh, they missed so many opportunities given the time at which it was made. And I, I think it'd be, it could be really interesting to sort of explore a lot of this in a more um, mature, um, sophisticated time for television. Maybe a um, ship filled with counselors. A ship of counselors. <laughs> kind of like the Intrepid, only instead of yeah. Vulcans, it's all counselors. That's right. right? And joy. that's like why they like run into trouble because it's and, like they're all asking each other about their feelings instead of firing freaking phasers. And then we let uh, Jason loose on it. Oh, wait, different counselors. That would be great. Okay, I, I was confused. Oh, um, <laughs> so, uh, so then we have Tasha Yar, who was also, um, you know, uh, going to be a, a very important character. And, right. and the interesting thing about Tasha Yar is more than any of these characters, it's the most derivative character because basically Gene yeah. saw aliens and, and said, so, Oh, the- uh, Lieutenant Vasquez and said, Why don't we have one of her? Yeah, yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> she's cool. And so yet, opportunity missed because if you read like how she's described, right? Even if you kind of accept that she's Vasquez, okay, it's like all you have to do is show me where they are, man. Yeah. Um, Show me. The way that they, they talk about her in the Bible, show me, show me where they are. <laughs> like in the computer shows her where they are. Um, she was supposed to be the the point of view of of um uh, on like the the perfection, the quote unquote the perfection, right? Or the the elevated um you know personalities uh and the elevated culture of Starfleet, of the United Federation of Federation of Planets of right. Earth, right? Her upbringing was so bad. And so uh, and so unlike uh, Federation worlds that she really was drawn to these perfected people and wanted to be more like them. That's right. Which she is a could great backstory. Exactly. She, she could have been the contrast story. in the answer. Right. She's yeah. the black velvet under the diamonds. 
And she never got used that way. Instead, she yeah. got eaten by an oil slick. Before this gracious court, now appear these prisoners to answer for the multiple and grievous savageries of the species. How plead you, criminal? If I may, Captain. Objection, Your Honor. In the year 2036, the new United Nations declared that no Earth citizen could be made to answer for the crimes of his race or forebears. Objection denied. This is a court of the year 2079, by which time more rapid progress had caused all United Earth nonsense to be abolished. Natasha, no. I must, because I grew up in a world that allowed things like this court, and it was people like these that saved me from it. This so-called court should get down on its knees to what Starfleet is, what it represents. Yeah, yeah, but that was that was her choice. Because yeah, no, she, for yeah, sure. she, she did the Michelle Forbes thing where she wanted to go off and do movies, but Oops. because she was being, you know, and, and if you listen to the episode on Trexpert's Briefing Room, a completely other podcast that Peter and Lisa did a few weeks ago, where she talks about, she goes a great length and she says, look, I was being given nothing to do. I could be on set all day and then have one line say shields up captain. Yeah. And that was it. You know, and you, you, you know, she didn't say this, but you know, she also was like the, what the granddaughter of, um, uh, of, of Bing Crosby. So I'm sure she wasn't hurting for money. Yeah. Um, and, and so like, uh, uh, you know, if you're not getting creative and artistic satisfaction and you don't need the money, why stay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there, was, there was no reason with, with how they were using her. There was no reason at all. Yeah. I mean, right. she should have been, you know, atomic blonde. I mean, you know, or, uh, Char- Charlize Theron well, and, you know, I mean, just totally kick ass, but like she was not the perfected human. And in a better show, she be would have been, right? Yeah. In a in a better show, in a well, I mean, look, eventually Next well, Generation became a better show. The but fascinating in a, thing, the, her physicality, she was originally going to be um, uh, Marina Sirtis. Right, you know, right. They, they had those roles reversed and they switched at the very last minute. Uh, so how interesting would it have been if Denise Crosby were playing... Uh, uh, the counselor, you know, and Marina was playing the badass. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I think yeah. would have worked better in my Maybe opinion. Maybe so. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because as we, we learned from the Bible is that Troy was an attractive woman, but chief medical officer, Dr. Beverly Crusher is an extremely attractive woman right. in her early to mid forties. She's got an uh-huh. advert. It, it's a yeah. very important distinction. Our ship's CMO worked long and hard to get her assignment that's what she said to the Starship Enterprise. She is one of the most talented, insightful physicians in Starfleet. She and Picard know each other from his delivering the body of her husband to her after a mission accident. While so it wasn't Picard's much, fault, much it was like his a orders. FedEx man. <laughs> That's right. What can Brown do for you? <laughs> yeah, those, those shorts, those brown shorts don't look very good on you, John Luke. Um, but uh, she's found it difficult to forgive him. And again, really interesting. Although but further stories seem to developing a strong mutual attraction, you know, which was something they played, but was never really until attached in the seventh season. In the seventh season. Yeah. 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 Because that also becomes a really interesting thing. What if the captain gets into a romantic relationship with someone under his command? Now they did that in lessons, which was a great episode with Wendy Hughes, 
where right. he has to send his, you know, this woman that he, he's having a, a love affair with to the planet and, and, and she almost dies and then she blames him and wants to have nothing to do with him anymore, which was a really terrific episode too. But yeah. I mean, how much more interesting would have been, you know, the Crusher situation if they realized that this was an untenable relationship Crusher, because of the Jeopardy he'd have to put. Yeah, right. You brought her. <laughs> but of course, with Beverly Crusher comes um, Wesley Louise. And yes. can you tell us uh, about uh, Wesley West Crusher, Darren? I think uh, this this needs to be read by Gene because okay. this is the closest to him. The Mary Sue, has, Mary Sue Crusher. Can you get a hold of Gene? Do you have his number? I I'll, it's I'll uh, I think it's NCC one seven zero one. I forget the area code. Wesley West Crusher, a smallish, bright fifteen year old boy who came aboard with his mother Beverly. Although Wes is hardly more than an awkward teenager, he's already displaying the genius of both his parents, particularly in the areas of starship engineering and related physical sciences, including warp velocity navigation, by the way. Uh, in some future episode, Captain Picard will recognize these abilities by appointing Wes an acting ensign assigned to starship operations. Starship operations. Starship and everybody operation. in the world cried out at once. What's an acting ensign? <laughs> what? <laughs> well, gentlemen, I got to ask you: Was this ill-conceived in every way? Not in every way. I, I think it. I think it would have been. I think it would have been. I think it would have been better if he wasn't such a bloody genius. Mm -hmm. If he was just a normal kid who was interested in this stuff. That's right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wesley Crusher done right is Jake Sisko. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. Um, yeah. But Jake Sisko was just a normal kid who loved his father and wanted to be there because, but yeah, he, he, he failed and he wasn't successful at everything he did. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, cause yeah. you know, writing a character like Superman is boring. Yeah, and, that's right. And Wes turned out to be boring. And, the other thing about him is, look, it's not that just that they're positing that he's this 15 year old kid who has who is, you know, awesome and a genius and all this other crap. like he is the child of somebody who is like a, one of the command officers on this ship. And yeah, I guess he had a relationship with his mom, but you know what he never had? He never really had like legitimate, honest conflict with his mom. Right. Beverly Crusher could have been the window into all of these struggles with what are our responsibilities to family on board when we are behaving as Starfleet officers, when we're boldly going, when we're encountering, you know, terrors, right? You I know, mean, it just what is that? What do we owe them? And we never access like any of that parental fear, like, or, or it just, it's just kind of there and it gets asserted, but it's never manifested as drama, which is a wasted opportunity. Here's an idea of how I would have handled the Wesley Crusher character. Already make him a Starfleet officer. Mm -hmm. You know, if he is so bright and, uh, and uh, you know, capable, maybe he went through Starfleet Academy already. Right. And, he's just young. And he's just young. And maybe he is. Doogie he's Hauser. A, he's a, yeah. Well, kind of like that. Yeah. Wesley but Crusher. Maybe, he's a, maybe he's a great officer but he still doesn't have the depth of emotional capability of functioning well in a crew. That's right. 
has you know, he he hasn't developed as an adult yet, even yes. though he is his thinking. Mentally, is he's advanced. an adult. Emotionally, he's not. That's right. Well, the reality is he's a teenager. So, I mean, it's more likely that he's off smoking Mako root, you know, on the holodeck <laughs> with a bunch of his friends, which is you awesome. Know, and, 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 and he would be rebellious, you know. So Maybe. I'd rather see him, you know, not getting along with his mother. I mean, you know, his dad died, you know. Uh, you know, he resented Picard. You know, if anything, she can't have the luxury oh, of resenting Picard, he, but he can. What he, would, what he would resent is that he got assigned to this ship with his mother. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the proof of what you're saying, Darren, is he only got interesting after he went to the academy. Right. 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 It's like after that, you're like, okay, I can sort of vaguely get behind Wesley Crusher. You know, yeah. it's it. Not completely, but at least then it's like there were stories, right? Like you can point to good episodes. Like when you point to good Wesley episodes, you get the first duty, and all of a sudden it's oh, he was in when he's flawed. Uh, when he's flawed, right. right? And he was in the academy, and he was actually like, and it was real. It wasn't. It's like oh, I'm going to give you a sort of a commission that's sort I mean, of that, that one scene where he sits down at Captain Picard's chair and starts, uh, you know, reciting all these capabilities of the buttons on the chair. And, and, and Picard is saying, I'm an excellent driver. I mean, that's just ludicrous. Yeah, I agree. It's stupid. He had the blueprints. Yeah. He bought I mean, them online. Like from Lincoln Enterprises. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're but yeah. absolutely, you're, look, you're absolutely right. And, um, you know, it's, it's very frustrating because, um, you know, obviously Will uh, was a good actor. He was great in Stand By Me. You know, it wasn't his fault. Well, but he was the most have... famous actor that they cast in that yeah. show. Him and LeVar. Him and LeVar were the yeah. biggest actors on that show. Yep. And I mean, I remember in something like Justice, you know, where he falls in the in the, in the oh, plants, you know, he played flowers. ball, oh. and now he was sentenced to death. I mean, oh, my God. I mean, if that wasn't an argument against, you know, uh, you know, having him anywhere on any mission, anywhere doing anything, it was just like I what was an on the, awful I was episode. on the Edo side. Yeah, yeah no kidding, right? Kill him. Yeah. <laughs> I never forget. Helped. That was I, I I was there, you know, for too short a season. It was a week after right. they shot. A week after Justice. they shot that. And, and I remember last week. Yeah, Jonathan Frank said to me, he said, Yeah, you should have been here last week. We did this thing with the Edo. That was that was a that was good. You would have liked that. <laughs> all the all the oil and masseuses around. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh my God! It's and it's a it's a terrible episode because you know they're trying to do they do this ham fisted look at capital punishment, but they don't yeah. really look at it in any kind of meaningful way. Right? It's like it's just oh, sort of you silly madness. Yeah, Every they, crime is punishable by death. There's there's no there's no uh, uh, there's no metaphor. It's no. all right on the nose. And it, it right. doesn't work as well as uh, other episodes that used actual symbolism for things. Right. And great Allegory. episodes. What must great episodes have? Well, Gene tells us what we must have. Action, adventure, drama, underlined entertainment. Oh. So involving our Starship crew and vessel. Plus, right. once the mm. above has captured the audience's attention, we want to include our usual comments about the challenges humanity now faces. Uh Cool. So it only takes three years to get there. Well, that's not fair. There's a couple it, of. I think it took a little longer. <laughs> no, but you know what? You're 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 missing episodes like um, no, there Measure are of a man, which is terrific episodes. Yeah, and and and, and uh, Manner of Honor and Heart of uh -huh. Heart of Heart of Glory heart of and uh, and um, 
you know, Q-Who. I mean, you know, look, we, we need to do an episode where we talk about the first where we talk yes. about the first two seasons, because there are some real gems among yeah. uh, among the, the crap. Yeah, that's for yeah. sure. Like those are the briefing room episodes to do. Right. It's like the much maligned first and second seasons. Like what are the great episodes? Yeah. I mean, sure. We've already covered Shades of Grey and the Royale. <laughs> we should do conspiracy. Yeah, we should. That's an entirely uh, different podcast. Yeah. Altogether. We should, yeah, we should we should do conspiracy. And we talk about <laughs> Unicaraplides. What happened to Unicaraplides? Trila Scott. Yeah. Right. I love I I I can never get enough of that episode. Me of that either. scene. Well, on the I trilogy. love that scene. It's creepy shit. It's creepy Look, stuff. It is. I, n- number nine on this list. No stories about warfare with Klingons or Romulans and no stories with Vulcans. Screw those guys. We are determined not to copy ourselves and believe there must be other interesting aliens in a galaxy filled with billions of stars and planets. Well, Well, we would have thought so too, but apparently not. Apparently not. Not until you get to Deep Space Nine. And then only in Deep Space Nine. We do not do stories about psi forces or mysterious psychic powers. Really? Yeah, that's what he says. He used to do them all the time. I know. I Actually, know. My favorite, honestly, is 13. Stories in which our characters must do something stupid or dangerous or in which our technology breaks down in order to create a Jeopardy. I mean, yeah. it's that's not like the next generation week. unless shit's breaking down. Wow. If the holodeck isn't broken, it's not Star Trek. You know? We're not buying stories about the original Star Trek characters, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Aurora, Chekhov, Scotty, and Sulu, or their descendants, as much as we love our original cast. And that's, uh, I don't know about that. They they are our children, after all. We need our audience's attention centered on our new characters. Well, fine. Star Trek is not melodrama. Melodrama is a writing style which does not require believable people. Like, for example, in the the first two seasons of... The next generation. <laughs> it's just yeah. yeah. Plots involving a whole civilization really work. What does work what does work is to deal with specific characters from another culture and their interactions with our own continuing characters. What does work is role. a story about a planet that only has about 30 people on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. You know what? Let's do a movie about that. <laughs> or 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 or, or a, a, a planet that kidnaps Tasha Yar. And <laughs> wants yeah, to, uh, that'll work. Keep them as his wife. Oh my God, we have to do code of honor too as a, a briefing. Oh room. my God, that terrifies me. But yeah, maybe maybe justice instead. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't think I've watched Justice in thirty years, so I would that, watch Justice again. Right? It's about time. I'm about due for a rewatch. Nice planet. Yeah. yeah. Um, I love the story. This is my favorite. Oh, yeah, well, you said this. Stories in which our characters must do something stupid or dangerous, right. which our technology <laughs> breaks down. That's, that's, that's great. And, of course, um, they don't want writing fantasy instead of science fiction. The difference between right. the two is profound, despite the fact that both science fiction and fantasy can deal with unusual events. A science fiction story is based on an extrapolation of a generally accepted scientific factor theory. Fantasy, which, is, which our format does not permit, needs to have no basis in reality. But really, what is the difference between Very Mothrock's pejorative and the freaking Very like, Mothrocks? Very Mothrocks? We, we have between start, Burgess, Mer- Burgess, Burgess. I mean, we between have to start Mer- making t shirts about you now. Yeah, we do. <laughs> you know what? That goddamn dragon and the space jellyfish. <laughs> right? Like, is 
a space I, jellyfish like any less I feel great joy and gratitude <laughs> very moth rocks yeah i deserve the pillorying pillory away i i earned it my goodness. And for those of you who are considering submitting a script to Star Trek The Next Generation, the format of a Star Trek script is a teaser in five parts. Teaser can run as long as five pages if necessary. Because, of course, there were more commercial breaks in syndication than there were at network. Because I think right. network back then was, was, was uh, there were less commercial breaks. Um, uh, each part should be approximately 10 to 11 script pages long. The total length of the first draft should not be more than 55 to 56 pages. Because the style of the show is a fast-paced action drama, long rambling scenes should be avoided, unless I'm writing them, says Gene. Right. The actual <laughs> running time of each episode will be 43 minutes. Now, this is a right. full 10 minutes shorter than original series episodes. Yep. Yeah. It's tight. It's very and tight. 10 minutes less interesting. And yet, okay, so we go like, yeah, it's tight at 43 minutes. And yet so many Next Generation episodes like ended up needing to pad themselves out yeah. with sea stories yeah. that didn't go anywhere, right? Or scenes yeah. that you just don't care about. Like, and it just, and look, this is obviously, I love The Next Generation. I do but let's not crap ourselves. I mean, well, let's definitely not crap ourselves, but like, but let's, let's be serious. Like there are, there are a number of episodes where it's like the 43 minutes wasn't really all that necessary. Yeah. And we didn't really need it. Yeah. Ashley, do you know how many people that were on board the enterprise? And uh, 1,012. You are absolutely right. You know what? I did not know that. I did. I, I, I can knew. tell you how many people were on the original enterprise, but. That's a lot of people. 103. I can, I can tell you who were, how many were on the Cage Enterprise. 103. 103. That right. seems about right, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that seems like the right amount for a starship. What I love is that between the Cage and where No Man Has Gone Before, the ship, um, the ship, became, the ship became less efficient. Yes. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um. So we go into great detail about the technology, the Starship interiors, um, how comfortable it is. Um, once it's again, like a hotel. Talking about right before, show me, tell me, touch me, couple, all that. <laughs> a couple months before Next Generation came out, I got my hands on one of these Bibles uh, yeah. through, through a friend who got it through uh, an agent. At Lincoln um, Enterprises. No, they Lincoln didn't have them yet. Uh, yeah, they, they would, but not yet. Um, but I was absolutely uh gobsmacked by this because it was so detailed and yes you know not since uh not since making of star trek had you seen something that was laid out as you know clearly as this one was right and and of course this was the first time that i saw a picture of uh the uh enterprise the d bridge. there was a, a drawing uh, on the cover and uh there was also an illustration that andy probert did of the bridge which was fascinating and, yep. uh, and, you know, there was call outs on everything. You could tell, you know, wh what all the stations were, what the horseshoe did and uh, the, uh, the big uh, front uh, facing uh, view screen. And it was absolutely fascinating to see this sort of develop as the show started to come on. And you could see what immediate changes happened between this and uh, actually producing the show. Yeah. No, I, I had the same thing. I, I had gotten this uh, very early on. I think, you know, I was writing about the show. So I think they they sent it to me. Yeah. And uh, so I saw it before seeing Farpoint. Right. And uh, I was, you know, look, I mean, we're sitting here, we're, we're laughing about it, but it was so exciting. 
Yes, that was for so sure. cool. It was clearly a lot of thought had gone into the world. Uh, I agree that Andy Probert illustration was fantastic. Yeah. I, I know that I guess it was Doug Drexler who, or, or someone, or maybe it was Probert who wanted on the on, on the. I think it was Andy Probert actually who on the back page um, of the um, Bible was going to have the Paramount Mountain turning into the um, Starfleet insignia, and apparently Bob Justman went crazy. He said, "You're going to piss off Paramount. We can't do that." It was the weirdest thing. Um, wow. you know, but it's like, you can't, you can't bastardize their logo. And it was like, it was just an innocuous, of course you can. <laughs> clever little thing. You know, I mean, how many times has it been done? Like in right, like in Raiders of Lost, Lost Ark, like the Ark. mountain turns into the yeah. mountain. I seem yeah. fine with that, Commander. <laughs> <laughs> what I find I mean, interesting about this bridge design is that it's like the counselor, right? You go, oh yeah, that's a really fascinating idea for how to approach this. And yet, when no you cookies, you know, cookies, right? But when, there's no snack officer. When you proceed into the other shows, the other shows realize that this design is inherently undramatic. Yeah. Right. It's like it was it wasn't designed for drama. It was it was designed because it's like, well, that's interesting. But then it was like never properly leveraged as a thing. And it just felt like a hotel room. The so by is, the time you get was- to the Voyager or the Defiant, Throw it out the window. Well, I think, Darren, you talked about how brilliant the original uh, bridge is, not just because Matt Jeffries designed an amazing bridge, but in terms of servicing the DP. TV, Mm -hmm. servicing, making shots. The next generation bridge just doesn't do that because if you're you're down there- There's only one direction to shoot. if, If you're standing next to Con and Ops, you can't see the rest of the bridge at all. Yeah, unless yeah. you're really low and shooting up and that just looks weird. Yeah, I mean it's a much bigger set and it, you know has those wild walls so you can bring my, a crane my in. My suspicion but... is this was designed for an actual starship. And right. the consideration of TV was not even thought of. Yeah. yeah. Because that was so so brilliant about the original the way the captain's chair was positioned the way you had the lower deck so that when you're you know camera's looking up that you could, in a two-shot, see the captain and also see a character behind them. Yeah. I mean, there's so many great angles and ways and to shoot you're in front of the, the original in, Star Trek bridge. If you're in front of the con console and you see Sulu, you can look directly at Kirk and who's behind him because mm-hmm. it's close enough to do that. And you only have to change levels once. I mean, you can, you can be on the upper ring and you can look down and you can see things happening there. And it's the, the ability to have it a much closer confines really gives you a lot more opportunities for interesting shots. I got to tell you, when I was on the bridge for the first time, um, uh, you know, one of the people who was with me was my college roommate who was there as my photographer, whatever he was Uh there as. And um, I remember them telling us during the tour, oh, only Patrick gets to sit in the captain's chair. So, um, (laughs) you know, I, of course, not wanting to create problems, did not sit in the captain's chair. So as we walked off, my friend, my 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 college roommate, he immediately sits in the captain's chair. Of course. Hey, Mark, can you take a picture? And it's like, <laughs> oh man. And I, I like I, I have so few pictures from you know from all those years. I mean, I was pretty much on the set and extraction virtually every year that show was in production because I would do those articles for the Cine Fantastic and later Sci-Fi Universe. And I got like three pictures because I never wanted if you had to an be that guy back then. Oh my god, I know, I know. I have so few pictures. Uh, from 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 um, that, and I have like nothing on the Deep Space Nine sets at all. Oh um, man, yeah, which were just 
gorgeous. And now, of course, we're going to talk about Deep Space Nine in a future episode, because that Bible is really interesting in terms of so much of it that never made it into the series. Because I don't think they really knew what that show was, what they knew what it wasn't. They didn't want to be next gen. They didn't want to be a starship. They wanted to be a space station that they knew. But I don't think they ever knew exactly what Deep Space Nine was. They would have to find it in the show. And we'll talk about that when we do Deep Space Nine. You know, tangentially, and obviously we'll talk about this more when we get there on Deep Space Nine, we should bring in Robert Wolf at some point just to talk about the Dominion. Because he was the guy who famously nearly got freaking fired for writing the memo that was like nine pages about the Dominion and how it worked and the Jem'Hadar and the Vorta and all this other stuff that like, it's just, it's a really fascinating story, but we can, we can get to that at some other time, but that just kind of made me think like how shows evolve over time, right? Like how like the writing staffs, we said like, this is the suggestion in the first season over time, the show evolved. It becomes a different thing. These rules no longer apply. But what doesn't happen is, as those rules evolve, nobody updates these documents. There's no like, hey, it's the fourth yeah. season now. Right. Here's the fourth season version of the Bible. You're still, here's no the time. Bible. No There's time no, time. no time. No time. No time. But, no but time. you know, I have to say, but part of that is also, because now the series is on the air. People know what the show is. Yeah. Like these Bibles are really, you know, when the pilot's being filmed, when they see before people have actually seen the show, that's when the Bible is most important. After people have seen the show, the Bible becomes less and less important. Um, right. you know, at that point. Um, I love this description of Captain Picard, born in Paris, France. France Picard betrays a galaxy a- like I know, I know. Uh, back, uh, Paris, uh, Jupiter. Uh, Picard betrays a Gallic uh, accent only when deep emotions are triggered. So apparently he's supposed to go soccer blue. He's like, he's talking in a British accent. And then suddenly he starts to talk in French. Otherwise, oh. he only oh. speaks oh. French when cowardice is seen. <laughs> yeah, I, I surrender. Wouldn't it be uh, great other- if like when he becomes Lacutus of Borg, he refuses to speak in anything but French. French, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, je suis Lacutus. Otherwise, uh, since ethnic accents are no longer common, he carries only a touch of French phrasing in his speech. In discussions with friends, he pretends to believe that France represents the only true civilization <laughs> to appear on Earth, and it delights him when a witty companion wants to prove the same for England, Italy, or China. He is definitely a romantic and sincerely believes in concepts like honor and duty, although on issues that affect the safety of his crew in Starship, he can be completely pragmatic and tough as hell. You know, why didn't they just say, Picard is an asshole, basically. Yeah. <laughs> That would have solved that whole paragraph. Oh, this is the best. Are you ready for this? I don't know if you read this. Women of the 24th century consider a man in his early 50s, like Picard, Hmm. as having just entered his best years. Hmm. (laughs) I think Gene wrote that, not David. Yeah, I think he freaking did. Yeah. (laughs) Active duty Starfleet males, and females for that matter, have the double attractiveness of being in prime physical condition, usually through their 70s. And being more aware, most humans of the rich variety of personal relationships. Bow chicka chicka, <laughs> bow bow. Wow. Although wow. still young by the 24th century standards, he has gone the way we saw Kirk going, content with the starship love, a personality attribute accentuated by his long, long USS Stargazer duty. 
But here on the Enterprise, with over a thousand crew people and family members, he is also learning that life is more complex than he ever imagined. Here's a question I haven't thought about, right? How, uh, how long was he on the Stargazer? I don't know. Watch Picard season two to find out. Right. Let's find out. But I mean, like my point of that is like as much as he talks about that long, long, you know, the, the, the starship love and how long he was on the Stargazer. Right. It's like. The Stargazer only kind of comes into the conversation. A couple of times, it's like the Stargazer is more like, you know, the girl that he dated that he like thought that he kind of loved. And then it was like, oh, yeah, I guess he meets the Enterprise. Well, I mean. He lost his command. It was stolen from him. True. So, you know, I mean, he has a model of it in his ready room. So I think that's, you know, that's the most he expresses. Isn't that a little bit creepy, though? Isn't that like. It is. Yeah. Oh, like having a picture of your ex-girlfriend on your desk. Some memorabilia. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, let me show you my ex-girlfriend. She's on my desk. And then they go right back here. They go into what turns out to be pretty much a glossary of terms, which explains all the Star Trek uh, terminology and 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 most that of it for is the Lincoln Enterprise a over, you know, from um, from the original series, photon torpedoes, phasers, uh, you know, warp speed. It explains what all this stuff is. And, what is uh, all that stuff? Yeah. What in? I don't the- know. I mean, here here this is really where they're panning it out. Planet, moon, satellite, star, sun. A star, as seen from one of its orbiting planets, is a sun. I mean, it's like, oh, my solar system. Really? Interplanetary, a great album by the Beastie Boys. No, Between Planets, <laughs> um, Orbit, uh, Speed of Light, Appendix, um, you know, Lightyear, Interstellar. I mean, those Lincoln Enterprise guys are really getting their money's worth. The Federation um, is an alliance of many planets. Whole bunches of them. <laughs> uh, Federation is a metric buttload of planets. And because Ameri- it's the Ameri- future, Buttrick. it is metric. Americ Buttrick of planets. Yeah. Well, I, I, I have to say, um, you know, unlike uh, the, the, the other Bibles we read, there are no log lines here. Yeah. Now, if I recall, there may have been a separate document that was distributed with the Bible, which had, yeah, which they did each season, which were areas they wanted to explore and would have log lines. I don't right. have. A copy of that right here, unfortunately. Um, but that was something they did update season by season, where they would talk about the kinds of stories they were looking for, and they would have different log lines, uh, uh, which is which is a shame. We'll have to we'll have to we'll have to dig those up uh, because those are always fun, you know, like Mister Socrates, uh, you know, um, right. you know, exploring some of these uh, these episodes that evolved and others that never, you know, were realized in many cases mercifully. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, how how do you think this served as a template for the series, Ashley? You know, look, I think in the broad strokes, it was a good start. It was a good suggestion, especially as they got into the first and second season. Um, and obviously, the show evolved even in those time periods. By the time they got to the third, they realized a bunch of things that weren't working, a bunch of things that weren't really relevant anymore. I think that really, in some ways, the most significant thing that wasn't working anymore was this is a dual lead show that, you know, that there's a there's a guy who does the away missions and there's a guy who is stuck doing the boring crap on the uh, on the ship. And we call him the captain. Right. I mean, but the truth of the matter is no television show survives like the creator's original idea of what it needs to be. Not completely. Even if it survives it in the broad strokes, ultimately it must evolve as must Star Trek. 
evolved. See, I think it, it would have worked if they changed the perspective of the show. If you make the show, they, they toyed with this a little bit in A Counter and Farpoint, but if you make it the perspective of Riker, right? You know, if the, to- the stories are told from his point of view and he is meeting the captain for the first time and he is, you know, assigned to this new ship. Right. It's his job to That's keep this man happy. That. Yes. Right? But it's a, it's a bit of the West Wing problem, right? It's like as much as like you want to make it Rob Lowe's show, right. the truth of the matter is the second that Martin Sheen walks into the show at the end of yeah. the episode and like and solves the problem, you're like, oh, yeah, it's a show. Okay. I mean, well, let, or let me... Brian Cox in Succession. Okay. You know, you just the second that he's on the show, you're like, yeah, he's got to come back. Yeah, and I, I, I want to step back for our audience that they, may, that may have gone over their heads. So originally the plan for the West Wing was you would never see the president. So what Ashley's talking about is, you know, suddenly you see, you know, Martin Sheen in the West Wing and it becomes the president's show. You, right. There's no way to do that, you know, from the perspective of the people who work in the West Wing and not see the president. It, 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 and in succession, it was the same thing. You were never really going to it wasn't going to be about um, uh, Kendall, about Roy. It was what, 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 about uh, Brian Cox as the head of this company. You're going to see all the kids and all that. And then it really becomes Brian Cox's show or, yeah. you know, same way that Matthew Fox was supposed to die in the pilot for loss. You can't do that show without Matthew Fox. You know, you, you know, it's not killing off Steven Seagal, to, you know, 15 minutes into executive decision. And um, it's interesting because it was also Brian Fuller's idea for Discovery. That's right. That you were going right. to deal. It was going to be about the first officer and you were never really going to see the cat. Like the captain would be in the background and occasionally they would right. be. But it was really about the first officer. And, to and, a certain and, and extent, that went away as well. That in. I mean, this is opening a can of worms that I don't know that I want to open, but to a certain extent that worked in the sense that um, on that show, Captain Lorca was always interesting when we were outside of Lorca's point of view. Right. And I think that there was some terrible character assassination that occurred, like in terms of Captain Lorca on that show, but like, but when it was, you know, Michael Burnham's perception of him, and how the rest of the crew perceived him when he was opaque, when he was different, when he was a little scary, right? Yet effective. That was cool, right? There's like, there's a good idea in there. And Darren, I don't think you're wrong at all. I think it's just that when you suddenly you cast a guy like Patrick Stewart, you cast a guy like Martin Sheet, suddenly you're like, yeah, it's tough not to write the show about him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The audience expects to see them. Yeah. Whether it, it's, it's, you know, the star of Harry Potter or it's the, you know, the star of, um, you know, in the case of uh, Martin Sheen, star apocalypse. Now, you know, you, you, you're going to, these are, these are star actors, you know, you see, that, and, opens and up, you're ex- that opens up interesting interplay between Riker and Picard, perhaps unlike the way Riker was written, where he was very content to be second in command, perhaps Riker was, you know, very eager to advance. And Picard was in his way. That's right. He was Shelby, right? Yeah, you yeah, yeah in my exactly. way. I mean, that would have been infinitely more well, unfortunate for you. Yeah. Right. I mean, you guys know I want to see the Jellico Shelby show. That's the, yeah. if I could ever write a comic book, that's the Star Trek comic I would write. Totally. That would be great. Right. That'd be great. Yeah. That would really be, I mean, that's so interesting. That would be so interesting. Well, we talked about this on the show before, Yeah, but it's just like all these really interesting character dynamics that, that could be explored. 
But, you know, next generation, like, would introduce these great characters and these great setups and never pay it off, whether it's conspiracy, the alien invasion conspiracy, or, you know, Shelby, you know, wanting, uh, you know, Riker's job, basically, um, and, and just, you know, sort of abandoning them and never coming back. I think that's why, you know, Deep Space Nine was such a breath of fresh air yeah. when they would, you know, deal with the consequences of their actions and the, the character beats would become serialized even before um, the actual storylines did. Yes. Um, but anyway, but this was this was really interesting to see, uh, you know, the space seed planted and what was, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what, what what sprung from that seed that was planted uh, way back in 1980. Back in was March it? 23rd, 1987. Yeah. 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 And then the show about. debuted September 1987. Yeah. 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 Yeah, they, they developed this and, and uh, you know, had the first episode out really quickly. Yeah, they did. Uh, yeah. So, frankly, it's a wonder they got anything out at all. No, it's amazing, especially because they shut down a couple of times because they, yeah. they didn't have scripts. Yep. Um, you know, that year was notoriously uh, problem-plagued in terms of uh, getting scripts to the stage and obviously getting it to the keys to prep. Yeah, um, you know, it was it was, you know, that ultimately led to Maurice Hurley sort of becoming the fact their showrunner because at least he could make the trains run on time. And and Gene, you know, sort of taking a step back. So anyway, well, this is really interesting. And we're going to come back and um, we're going to look at the uh, 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 Deep Space Nine. And uh, then we're going to do an episode on the Voyager and Enterprise uh, pilots as probably one episode, just yeah. Voyager and Enterprise together um but uh we'll, we'll come we'll we'll come back to those um and but, we uh, actually haven't talked about the regular tos bible we talked that's about true the, the pitch document but we didn't talk yeah. about the bible yeah the bible yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah. We'll, we'll, maybe that'll we'll be our, our finale from this uh from this uh series yeah oh, the series of episodes exactly and uh, i also want to let people know that uh, darren and i will be uh, speaking um uh, later this um, fall at the uh, Skirball Center exhibi yeah. exhibition. Um, so uh, keep an eye out for more news on that. We'll let you know uh, when we have a, a date uh, we're going to be introducing or, or doing Q&A. It'll be near the beginning of, of November, actually. Of, of, of key. I don't think, I don't know if they've announced it, but I don't think it's a secret yeah. um, that we'll be doing this uh, Q&A about some significant Star Trek episodes. So it'll be like uh, a Trexpert's briefing room, but uh, in person. Yeah. It's an entirely different experience in person uh, than, than listening to this podcast uh, or Trexpert's Briefing Room, an entirely different podcast. Um, and uh, what else? Um, by the way, this was the uh, 43rd anniversary of Battlestar Galactica this week. Wow. Uh, debuted on ABC in 1978. You know, uh, there so are those who believe that life down here began out there. Huh. Yeah, with tribes weird. of humans who may have been the forefathers of the Toltecs or the Mayans <laughs> or the Incas, <laughs> and the even now struggle in a fight to survive. No, and even now, and even now, fight to survive somewhere. Thank you. This is the voice of the last Battlestar Galactica, Galactica. and her lonely quest. Dun, dun, to dun, find dun, a shining planet known as Earth. Earth. Dun, 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 dun. 
Dun, 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 dun. When are we doing a galactic episode? Of yeah, Transports? man. The galactic like the episode. no bloody you know, ABC. I, I tell you, a lot of people are asking for that black hole episode, Darren. Dude. You can't fight the power. The power that be. Yes, I can. Fight the power. <laughs> Come on. We got to do black hole, man. Why? It's coming. 1979, another summer, a sound of a funky drummer. Well, you know, the problem I want to announce is, you know, that um, the black hole was rushed into theaters without a fine edit by Gary Nelson. And so I'm lobbying Disney to do a director's edition edition. of uh, the black hole. And I want to come out the same same week as uh, Star Trek, the motion picture. Right. Good luck luck with that. Entirely new effects. I wish you every success with this mission of yours <laughs> we're actually going to digitally um uh put in eyes for old bob and uh, vincent it's gonna be Man. great they're gonna be able to blink and do all kinds of cool stuff oh. that's right I, I got a plan, man. It's a secret project, so don't ask me about it. It's so okay. secret disney doesn't even know about it <laughs> yeah that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> how's your secret project going by the way secret i don't know what you're talking about Oh my God! Did, did you did you read the the read the read the papers? Read the papers. Uh, it's uh, it, it, Darren Docterman is um, is doing the Star Trek: The Motion Picture uh, director's edition. I heard Paramount something Plus about in, that in 4K. In 4K, all, like all 4Ks, not just 1K or 2Ks or not three, three bloody K, but 4K. Now yeah. five is right out. I look forward to being able to talk about such a project. At some point, if, in, if indeed one such project existed, which of course it does, because it was announced and at, at that Absolutely. Star Trek day, you it even debuted out. footage. That's yeah. right. The you, you debuted five seconds of footage, and that was awesome. It was awesome. It's actually ten seconds of footage. It is awesome. I, I, stand, I, I stand corrected. I don't know. Ten don't seconds of magnificent footage. I, that was the I, highlight I, of Star Trek day to me. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, no kidding. What else was there? It was um, the only thing I watched, so of course it was. Yeah, like, it was exciting. Um, I uh, I enjoyed its release on YouTube far better than its presentation on Star Trek Day. Okay, well, we are so excited that. about the secret project As and, and what you guys are cooking up, um, and cannot wait. Um, by the way, uh, did you get the uh, you got the 4K um, uh, collection of Star Trek one, two, three, and four? I I bought them. Yes. Yeah. So I understand that we're going to be doing live commentary on Star Trek three soon. Oh yeah. That's the plan. That is the plan. It's because you demanded it. Very special episodes of the Trexperts briefing. Right. Cue more Steve Asbell us, insisting on joining that commentary. But. Oh, maybe we should get Steve Asbell on that one. Nope. But I, nope. I think, that, I think <laughs> Let him yell more, at us. The more people write and tweet about how they turn off the show when we bag on Star Trek 3, the more I want to do it. I think we should just put a warning at the beginning of the show saying... That we might trigger alert? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we're a trigger alert to uh, uh, fans of Star Trek 3. Turn us off now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, Do not this listen be, to this podcast. And yet they will. Triggering. They're going to listen to it more than anybody else just because it feels good to be mad. Sure it does. And, yeah. and Darren's going to bring his swagger stick. Damn He's going right. to be like Captain Styles. He's going to slam well, the desk with the. If they think we're going to say nice things about Star Trek 3, well. How can you uh, have a red alert in Trexpert's briefing room? <laughs> show me the search for Spock. 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, if my grandmother had wheels, she'd be a whack. My grandmother oh, did have is... wheels. What are you insinuating? And she was a whack. Well, she wasn't Captain Pike. Um, but... <laughs> my grandmother had wheels. She'd be Captain <laughs> Pike. <laughs> That's, that's funny. Why don't we hear that joke on Lower Decks? Right? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not, I, seriously, I, I, this is a serious question. I've never seen Lower Decks. I, I, should I watch it? It's on TV. I know people people enjoy it. I, some people I, do I, or I, some people I, don't. I couldn't make it past the first episode. Oh, okay. I, I haven't seen it, so I don't really know. Okay. I haven't seen Star Trek, I, I, but I, I want to watch it one day. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going to start with the search for Spock. That's going to be my introduction to Star Trek. Right. Join the search. Yeah. This is, this is like cue the tweets or the reviews where it's like, oh, you know, just don't like all the new stuff. I mean, it's have nobody we, said that. Uh, sometimes just applied it. In other news, oh. Ashley is turning into young Obi Wan. I am. He is. Look, <laughs> Look at, at this. Look at this. Right? Well, as we record this, story, I have the high ground, Darren. I, I said it's <laughs> over. Damn you! I said it first. Oh. Star 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 Wars <laughs> Star Wars uh, Star Wars Visions debuts uh, uh, this week, um, um, and I'm, I'm I'm very interested in watching that. That's a, that? anime interpretations of the Star Wars universe uh, from uh, various different uh, Japanese uh, anime. Uh, oh, um, cool! That'll be yeah. Uh, so I, it'll be interesting be to see. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I want to see what they do with it. I think that'd be interesting. That's great. I, I like seeing different interpretations of of. I want to watch Marsha Lucas's interpretation. Oh, yeah, man, me too. So do I. Oh, I'd love to watch. I, I just want to. I want to see her commentary for Star Wars. No kidding. Hell yes. Right. Yeah. God, that's the coup. Maybe she. <laughs> maybe she'd uh, do it on a, a very special episode of uh, Trexpert's Briefing Room. <laughs> that's an entirely different podcast. Can you imagine. Wow. Special guest Marsha Lucas. Maybe we can get her to do commentary on Search for Spock. <laughs> you know what? I mean, no, we can. Yeah. I would. I would almost suggest that we ask Robin Curtis to join us uh, talking for, about Spock. No, that was we, the, but, but no, I think it would be me. No. It would be a different thing. It's maybe like, she can do Star Trek Four with us. Right. I no, you know what? We, you know, oh, you know what? We should get Robin to do Gambit. We'll have Robin do Gambit. With yeah. Us. Okay. Let's do that because she's she's in much more of that episode, yeah, and I, I think that would be episode. I think that would be fun. And we haven't seen her since Vegas, and uh, it's time for a little Robin action. So uh, we should um, we should talk to her about doing uh, Gambit with us on Trexpert's Briefing Room, an entirely different podcast. <laughs> um, Is that going to be the official name of it now? <laughs> yeah, I think that'll be the new deck. <laughs> Entirely different podcast from Inglorious Trexperts. I shouldn't even say an entirely different podcast because it's not self-explanatory enough. Apparently, I would say an entirely different podcast from Inglorious Trexperts, which you are now listening to, which is not Trexperts Briefing Room because that's entirely different. If you enjoy Inglorious Trexperts, you might also enjoy a separate podcast that is not Inglorious Trexperts, but that is the Trexperts Briefing Room, an entirely different podcast. We, we should put a survey on Twitter, a survey uh, asking people what episodes they want us to do commentary on. We don't want to get into that. No? No. No? No. Okay. What's, what's, Yesterday's <laughs> Enterprise. We no, will, we're not doing that. We will show the audience what they want to hear. Show me. Metamorphosis. 
<laughs> we did that one already. Did that. that was our first episode. Yeah. In fact, we gave <laughs> um, we gave Scott an idea for an entirely different podcast <laughs> That's right. by inviting him to do Metamorphosis. Doomsday Machines is the name of it, right? No, that's not the name of the podcast. I, okay. I wish William Wyndham was still alive so we could have him. Oh, come that would be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't be, you think I know that? <laughs> there was, know. but not anymore. That's a new podcast. <laughs> it yeah. was, but not anymore. It was, but not anymore. Yeah, that's exactly. My, well, that's basically the title of Inglorious Trexperts. Yeah, um, that could be the exact <laughs> too. There was, but not anymore. Inglorious Trexperts, oh. an entirely different podcast from Trexperts Briefing Room. Although this is one of the longest episodes we've ever done, so. I know, but you know, I, I haven't seen you guys since Vegas, so it's just a chance to hang out. <laughs> right. <laughs> Plus, I can't get up because uh, my leg is, uh, so I'm stuck here in this chair, much like Captain Pike. Um, anyway. <laughs> just uh, one beep for yes and two for no. Um, yeah, that's how we should do commentary on Menagerie. Beep. <laughs> this is all it is. Beep. <laughs> Talking about an entirely different podcast. <laughs> and if we like a scene, we go beep. And if we don't like the scene, we go beep, beep. That's hilarious. <laughs> that would be that would be really great. We you need can have Sean beep. Kenny as a special guest star and just have him beep. In the chair. He <laughs> yeah. doesn't say anything. He just in the chair. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's that's great. Okay. Well, listen, we two flashes mean this scene doesn't work. You know, you know, I mean, since last week was uh, an episode with our wonderful guest host, we thought you would want double the pleasure by us talking incessantly for two hours. Um, and, and, and we did it. So, did. Um, so, yes. yeah, yeah. So, so basically, um, you know, if you missed us last week, you, we, we made up for it this week. <laughs> it's like two episodes in one, right? right? It's a bargain. What are you complaining about, audience? How much are you paying again? Right. Like these you're listening for great Star Trek content and banter. And what we have yeah. delivered tonight is banter. banter. <laughs> banter. <laughs> and some Star Trek. And some content. My goodness. I still think we we fixed the problems with next generation in our local. We did. Absolutely. Damn right we did. So um Just get rid where of were we and we'll be how many okay. years ago was it? <laughs> 35 years ago? 30 something years ago. 34 oh, years ago? It was 87. 87 it premiered. Yeah. 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 My God. It's full what of stars. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can't believe it. I can't believe how old it is. I mean, how old we are. I mean, that's insane. Have we become so old that we've become a joke? It's well, 37 you know, years the, ago. In the 24th century, uh, we're actually very sexy. In, that's right. People <laughs> in their fifties are considered much more sexy than they I am are. So sexy right century. now in Star Trek terms. I mean, I'm, I'm Star Trek even. sexy right now. Well, you know that was the Gene's famous, uh, you know, f- famously uh, a, a misogynistic and sexist and a borderline offensive comment. Well, not even borderline, but you know, inappropriate comment where he said to the, uh, this woman who was pitching that. Uh, uh, a starship captains are uh, irresistible to women, much like TV showrunners. Yeah, so <laughs> that's a yeah. hashtag waiting. To I don't think he used yeah. the term showrunner. Yeah, no, like he, I think he said TV head writers, uh, yeah, TV creators or something like that. But yeah, that's that was not a very yeah, that was not a yeah. not 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 good. Not smart. <laughs> not smart. <laughs> not, no, it's past it, being not smart. Yeah, it's not smart. But it's also it's 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 really. It's not. It's not good. Not it's cool. Yeah, but no. that was Gene. 
but th- that was that was Gene. That was Gene. But I think you can't just chalk it up to that was Gene. I mean, that that's you know, that's not good. Yeah, it's not, not good. good. Yeah, we Make disapprove. Doesn't no, get the, uh, it doesn't get the Trexford seal of approval. Right. No, it yeah. doesn't. Yeah. We're against it. Yeah, yeah. It's not wrong. just like justice doesn't get the seal of approval. No, it doesn't. But it but might conspir- get. But conspiracy does. Yeah, it does. Yeah. What? What? what, what yeah. And and Q who? And and yeah. and we're gonna do that first and second season uh, deep dive. Gems. Yeah. Lost Today, gems. Today the death penalty is for killing flowers. <laughs> yeah. I mean that's Today, right the up death there. Penalty. That's right up there with the question of cannibalism, the one about the sentient cows, where right. where the, the farmers are are are, are killing uh, sentient animals, and yeah. we have to get we have to stop it. Yeah. I, I know, I know, they can't all be winners. Look, you know, it's a legendary TV show. We're talking about it, thirty-seven and fifty-five years later. Yeah. And so, like, what are you going to do? They can't all be winners. Nothing. Can't That's all right. be winners. Well, what we can do is invite you to join us next week. Indeed, Ooh, you can. And if you want to keep the conversation going, you can visit us on Twitter and Inglorious Trek or on Instagram and Inglorious Trexperts. Of course, we're also on Facebook uh, at Inglorious Trexperts. And uh, we want a, a special thanks to the great Bill Ritter, who makes us sound so good. Even a year and a half later on Zoom, we're still doing it. We're still Zooming. Um, so thank you to the great Bill Ritter. Uh, thank you, Zach uh, Raggett and uh, Peter Holmstrom. Uh, our associate producer, of course, our producer, Nellie Miscali, um, is a pleasure as we continue uh, to boldly go this fourth season of Inglorious Trexperts uh, and explore uh, the Star Trek universe together. we got some great episodes coming up. We hope you'll join us. And a very special thanks to Ashley Miller, Darren Docterman, and, uh, of course, Gene Roddenberry for beaming down for a few minutes to share his thoughts, um, because, of course, he is irresistible, much like Starship Captains. So um, <laughs> we'll see you next week on an all-new episode of Inglorious Trexperts. Until then, keep on trekking, Ingloriously, of course. You're listening to the Electric Surge Network.